Hey everyone, I'm out of town, so unfortunately we weren't able to record a proper podcast, but I wanted to bring to you a podcast that's one of my personal favorites that we've done, and uh, when I asked some of you folks on the Wampler Tone group on Facebook, uh, you said it was one of your favorites as well, and that is my interview with Greg Cock, uh, one of my favorite human beings on the planet, just such a great guy. A uh, funny guy, great guitar player, and uh, anyways, here's kind of a rerun of sorts of that particular podcast, which aired back in uh, 2021, I think, or something like that. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and um, yeah, we'll talk to you next week with a new one, of course. Enjoy this interview. My cable decided to go out Every at the right week. time. Well, as you get older, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Okay, I well, this is that be so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay. <laughs> um, Compose yourself, one plus. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Hello, this is Brian Wampler with another episode of the Chasing Tone Podcast, the podcast about guitars, amps, effects, as well as a healthy dose of interesting off-topic discussions. As always, joining me today is Blake Weiland, host of the Tone Mob Podcast, entrepreneur, and an effects pedal junkie, as well as Richard Oliver, Wampler's own man of many hats, a longtime tone chaser, and himself a digital entrepreneur. Though today, we have a very, very special guest, the king of gristle himself, Greg Cock. Woo. Greetings. What's going on, gentlemen? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good evening. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Pleasure. That's exciting. <laughs> Greg, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, you met a cardboard version of me many years ago at a summer NAM. Um, there was a cardboard version of me being toted around, and there's a there's a picture I've, of it on re- the internet. I somewhere. remember this because it was it was disturbing <laughs> yeah. yet glorious in one fell swoop. It's that still is, disturbing. It's no less disturbing <laughs> as time has passed. I can assure you. Know, you know, I think that's 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 my personal brand is disturbing and glorious. That's exactly well, love, what I'm going. Hey, for. you know what? Let's get t-shirts done. <laughs> Stat. Absolutely. I'm there for that. Yes. Uh, so thanks to Jonathan Diaz, who might be listening to this. I don't know uh, for toting cardboard me around. Now I just the head's all that's left. I ripped the head off of it because I didn't want to tote the whole body back to. Uh, portland yeah. with me so. that was kind of odd having a a life-size you just walking around the damn floor that it was, was actually a bigger than life-size version of me it, it, it was like it was, a, it was, it was like five a full version yeah. yeah it was five foot tall that's true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true two to uh, one sky allegedly the body ended up in a uh, nam bathroom stall somewhere but i can know that neither confirm okay, nor i think you need that. to end this story because <laughs> this is not ending well <laughs> right, that's, that's not making you look good so um so a little bit of a story about uh, how i came to n- quote unquote know greg know who greg is i guess um we have a mutual friend greg tim yarning yes which uh you know of course in the pedal world like tim's been around forever and is my gosh, he's been building pedals longer than I have, I think, actually. And um, was one of the people, like, when I was getting started, I'd call him and ask him questions. <laughs> because he's a, he's a real engineer. <laughs> Unlike <Yes>. me. <laughs> and uh, I remember one time I was, 
I was actually listening. I don't even remember the album. It was the one that had Blues Jam Guy on. I remember that. Oh yeah, Radio and, Free Gristle. Yes. <laughs> and I was telling, I was just like laughing my ass off for one, and and telling Tim about you. And he's like, I went to school with Greg. I know Greg. And I'm like, you're kidding me. You know Greg Cock? He's like, uh, we, yeah. <laughs> we went to Stevens Point together, and then uh, he moved down to Milwaukee. And he was working at the store, which was the first store I ever bought, you know, my first guitar ad. I, I bought my first amp, I mean, the whole nine yards. So then he, he tried to resurrect that store from the free fall that it had, uh, it started to come into just because it was kind of a family owned business and they'd kind of run out of, out of gumption. But Tim, by God, he took control of that place and did his best to kind of resurrect it from the ashes. And then at one point he's like, you know, the music business maybe isn't. <laughs> As a profitable and wholesome <laughs> stream of income as I once thought it was. And then he went back to school and became an engineer. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. And uh, you, you and Tim have been doing a, a couple pedals together for, a, for at least, what, maybe 15 years now? Oh, good Lord. I think it's longer. Than, it's got to be. It's got to be damn near 20 years. Because as I recall... Um, I was doing <clears throat> Fender stuff and going around with the trio and, um, and he got a hold of me and he said, Hey, you know, I make this clean boost. Uh, can I send it to you and see what you think? And I got it and I, and I really liked it and I was using it. And everywhere I went to do these clinics, people were like, what is that pedal? Like, oh, my buddy Tim makes this pedal. And then he's like, Hey, I'm working on this overdrive circuit and, um, I'm wondering if I could send it to you if you like it and if you have any tweaks to it, then maybe it could be your, you know, like your signature pedal. I said, well, bring it on. So uh, that worked out swimmingly. And then we called that one the Diabolical Gristle Tone Manipulator <laughs> or, the, or the DGTM for the kids. Yeah, yeah. And get acronized that a little bit. Right. Too long. With, that too long that gets old in a hurry. It gets, gets long winded in a hurry. And then after a period of time, I was like, Timmers. What if we took that overdrive and put it together with the clean boost and put it in one fell swoop? And then that became the Gristle King. And uh, we have been selling that pedal, as I said, closer to 20 years. At one point, we did a little deal with... Um, uh, I was T, yeah, yeah, T-Rex pedals, right? T-Rex, yeah. that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. T-Rex. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I really liked those fellas, but it, it, the guy they had at the time, all of a sudden, at, at one point, they just decided to stop paying us. Which is not exactly a fruitful way <laughs> to do business. I found it's usually it's hard to hard to make a living that way. Yes, uh, so we ended up getting um, you know started making them again ourselves. So there are some people that have the the um, T Rex iterations of the standalone luxury drive, standalone DGTM, and then the Gristle King. So they made the three pedals. Right. And then we started doing it ourselves again, and we've been doing it ever since. Now, uh, with my relationship with Fishman, we were able to work out uh, a way to have them make them. And uh, so oh, cool. Tim and I have just been selling them ourselves, although we may we may do a situation where um, uh, Fishman starts actually uh, marketing them and distributing them. As well, but for now it's been it's yeah. been kind of a fun thing. I mean, I get them and I sell I send sign uh, I sell side. Oh my god, it's hard to say. I sell signed ones from my website. I did it anyway. And it, <laughs> but it's great as I, as I bring those to gigs, and as we all know, it's like you know, in this day and age, 
uh, it's people like the trinkets more than they actually do the music. It's the weird. Mm. I mean, people. Yeah, there are people that still like to buy CDs. But I set up the merch table. I might sell three or four Gristle Kings a night. And, of course, these freaking hats. You know, people, yeah. oh, I want the hats. Like, How about the CDs? They're right over here. <laughs> got, got 17 of them. Mm-hmm. I work my I balls was... off on these things. <laughs> uh, I'll take a hat yeah. and a pedal and a T-shirt. And at that point, you're like, okay, whatever it takes. And but, they're probably uh, like, well, why would I want to buy a CD whenever I could just listen to it on YouTube? For exactly. Free? Pretty much. Well, I'll, pretty take much the hat. I'll take the hat right now. I'll take the hat right now. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that I've uh, got enough different stuff kind of lurking so that the spigots of income come in so they don't, uh, you know, starve, which sure. is something you want to avoid, I think. Yeah, starving. Unless, unless you're either. into that kind of thing. <laughs> and there's not anything wrong with that. No, it's <laughs> very inclusive of you, Blake. I'm impressed. As, as everyone is well aware, I routinely starve. I, uh, you know, I'm very much right. not a uh, not a uh, fan of eating or anything. I, I, right. I think your I definition think every- of starve and mine is very different. There, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> every conversation starts starts off with you're hungry and what you're going to be eating after the conversation. A quesadilla ah, today. Same here. I'm, I, yeah. I've got a I've got a food problem. There's just no doubt about it. I have to I have to walk five miles a day just so that my abdomen. Does not, you know, foretell my coming into a room. <laughs> You're in good company here, then, Greg. Yeah. Other than skinny Brian over there in Indiana, the rest of us are definitely uh, foodies. I think it's fair to say. Just Brian, yes. uh, he, Brian, Brian sees food as like some kind of robotic function. It's just must have sustenance, and that's it. He doesn't yeah, enjoy eating, right? It is weird, but I do love my coffee. I drink coffee all day long. Well, I do that too. I have a problem there as well. <laughs> but uh, you know what are you going to do? It's all about one thing or another. I gave up all my extra extracurricular beverages and other assorted naughtiness years ago of a fermented variety. So as a result, I kind of just have food and coffee left. So, so you're this, completely this, teetotal now? Oh, yes, indeed. For about, let's see, 26 years. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's impressive. I, I actually, and I don't, I, I don't mean any offense, Greg, but I'm literally thinking I can't imagine Greg drunk. We'll be right back. Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. That would be. <laughs> well, let me even, just put it this way: like, I took debauchery crazy. very seriously, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, from what I understand, I was pretty fun. Um, I can imagine. That's I can what imagine. I was just thinking. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I remember when I was a, when I was like in eighth grade, and I started playing guitar, and I became completely. I mean, I always knew I wanted to play guitar. When I finally started playing it, and I it started to come to me pretty fast. I just had you know 
right away delusions of grandeur. So I, I read, uh, you know, Up and Down with the Rolling Stones. I read Full Moon about Keith Moon's activities and proclivities. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Hendrix biographies and so on and so forth. So I thought, well, in addition to practicing and become a really good musician, I'm going to do some crazy shit and I'm going to pull it off. <laughs> it's funny so though, because I, I think, you know, like all young guitarists back then would read autobiographies of rock musicians. Now yes. you don't have to do it. You just go on the web and like probably talk to one on Twitter. But <laughs> that's just exactly. so interesting that like you were like, right, it's Keith Moon. He looks like a stand up fella. I'll read right. his book. He's never done anything stupid in his life ever, no. ever, ever. As a matter oh, of fact, my Lord. Cadillacs belong in swimming pools that's exactly. where they belong mm-hmm. yes yes there were there were quite a few sordid tales in that book and i thought you know what nice try moon but just wait till i get through you know what i mean that was kind of my motto and uh that worked for a while until it didn't and then i realized well if i don't stop i might be dead mm-hmm. so, i might end up uh, like keith moon there you go mm-hmm. exactly so there you go so yep. how how did you actually get involved in music? I mean, I know you said you started playing guitar at a young age, but does that did you, you know, let's say 12 or 15 or whatever you were, did you pick it up and think, I want to do this forever? Or did you pick it up and think, I'm going to go to college and find me a good job at a nice Well, you know, definitely company? prior to that, I mean, my dad was a lawyer and uh and I was definitely gonna follow in the old man's footsteps. That that was the idea, anyway. Um and, um, you know, I did pretty good in school. You know, I had a brain, I guess, until uh, until middle school. Uh, right around eighth grade hit, and I wanted, I, I wanted to play, I always wanted to play guitar. Uh, but, you know, you throw that extra incentive of the opposite sex, maybe thinking that that's going <laughs> to make, make you stand above the crowd. Although, truth be told, at that point in time, I was doing pretty good regardless. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, you know, not to brag about my adolescent <laughs> self. It was a brief run, gentlemen. Okay, there was a brief run. And uh, but um, anywho, um, we, me, and like four other dudes that went to school together. Uh, the summer of our seventh grade, we're like, uh, let's put a band together and play at our eighth grade graduation in the cafeteria, and, and we will annihilate and we'll be the coolest people of all time. I already, like, my sister was a fashion design uh, major in college, and she was sewing all the time, and I wanted her to make me the <laughs> the Jimmy Page white satin yes. Yes. You know, yes. dragon mm-hmm. poppy suit. Oh, yeah. Uh, that didn't mm-hmm. actually happen, but I did ask her to do it, and but that got a lot. But anyway, so fast forward nine months later or whatever it was, and we played this thing me and one other guy had actually taken it seriously enough where we had the ability to to perform and we uh hired this hot shot drummer from the from the from the public school because we were at the catholic school of christ christ king <laughs> and uh we i can still remember the set list kind of it was like you know hey joe and fire and communication breakdown and get off my cloud and now you're messing with the son of a bitch of course we didn't we didn't sing any of the songs we just played them right Okay. And I remember I, I borrowed an SG from this older brother of one of my classmates, and I played it through my delicious PV Rage amplification mm. device. And uh, <laughs> But that was it. I mean, once we played that gig, it was like, I'm in like Flynn. And then, like, 
within a few weeks, I was in a band with my friends, older brothers who were all seniors in high school. So I was doing gigs like right away and it just went from there. So uh, because I kind of took to it so fast, uh, I immediately was like, that's what I'm going to do. This is my calling. And uh, and plus, you know, back then there wasn't really, they, didn't, they wouldn't really say like ADHD or whatever. You know, I, <laughs> for whatever reason, I couldn't concentrate on my homework. Oh, it must be because I want to play guitar all the time. Tr- truth be told, it was probably a little bit of both. You know what I mean? It, 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 but somebody with a clue would have said, well, it's not that he can't concentrate or won't concentrate. He can't. So, but I could concentrate on guitar. So that's kind of what, uh, what began the whole thing. So my grades started to slip pretty significantly. Um, I mean, I still did well enough to get into college and whatnot, but, but certainly any, you know, kind of, uh, uh, visions of doing something more academic or academically oriented were out the window by junior year and, college i was or junior i'm sorry junior year in high school you know i was like well i'll get into a state school and that's about it right <laughs> but hey it turned out all right it did i'm a thousandaire i could buy right. each of you a fresca right now oh <laughs> i'm game i don't and know a you a boys are, but doritos I'm let's get doordash on the line right now <laughs> so i can savor my opulence might be a little bit expensive to send it to the uk but i'm game greg if you want to send me some doritos to the uk i'll take them cool, cooler ranch please that's my preferred dorito yeah <laughs> excellent so for those who aren't really familiar with greg one i find that hard to believe but two just in case um you, Greg, you have a gigantic, uh, that's probably not a big enough term. You have a monstrous ability to kind of weave good storytelling in with humor. Um, was that something that, like, did that just come naturally as, as a kid? And, or did it, were you playing a gig one time and you said something funny and you're like, oh, wow, people responded to that? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I was always uh, a wise ass. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> you know, like in, in high school, I was voted class clown and that, sh- you know, and I was, uh, uh, I wasn't af- afraid, let's put it that way, in front right. of people. So, uh, but it was weird when I, when the band first started playing, I mean, I, I was very bashful about singing for one, right from the get go. I was just like, no, 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 I just had to do it, you know. I, still, it was not my most comfortable thing for a long, long time. Um, and then when I would talk in between songs, I, 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 it, I, there was like a, a switch in my mind where it's like, when I do my music stuff, it's super, super, um, serious. Okay. There's serious shit going on here. <laughs> and then, but then I had this whole other aspect where as, as like my normal self, I mean, I'm, you know, constantly fucking around if we're honest. So, um, <laughs> This sounds uh, like a familiar tale. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at some point, um, y- you know, I th- you know, I think it was probably the first clinic I ever did. I got, um, I was doing a, I was working in this music store in the early '90s. I was just out of college, and these Fender guys came in the store. It was the regional rep, and it was this guy named Don Johnson. It was kind of a, a legend in Fender lore. He looked like. Uh, uh, Carl Perkins, and he really, and he really milked it. You know what I mean? It's like he knew he looked like Carl Perkins. He had the perm, you know, and the, and he'd always wear a bolo, and he had the cowboy boots and the tinted glasses, you know. And uh, he heard me playing 
uh, some guy was checking out some guitar. He's like, hey, can you check? And I'm like, yeah. And I played a little bit. And he comes over. He goes, are you in a band? I'm like, well, yeah. Uh, he goes, were you playing anywhere tonight? I go, as a matter of fact, I am. So he came out and saw the band, stayed all night long, and then was like, we should get you written up in the Fender Frontline magazine. Would you be into like doing workshops and stuff? I was like, I'd be into any of the above, you know? <laughs> and and then literally a day later, the Fender rep had Jack Schwartz coming through who would go around and do bench checks and people would bring in their guitars and he would set them up for them. And uh, he was like one of their main clinicians and he didn't want to come because as you don't, when you're on the road, like, hey, let's go out and see this band. Uh, no, <laughs> I want to go eat and I want to go to sleep. But he dragged the, the the rep dragged him out because there was food at this place, and he stayed all night <laughs> long. And back then we had uh, we had cassettes that we would make of our band. Right, we had our, our our original tunes, and we had a dat player. We had two TAC, you know, double cassette recorders, and we would dub these these things. We'd go to Kinkos and print up the stuff, and get out the Exacto knife and cut out the things and oh, sign yeah. the freaking things. So we'd come to gigs. It was labor intensive. We'd come to the gigs <laughs> with these, you know, these cassettes. And he bought like ten of them, and uh, and he passed them around to all the Fender folks. So next thing you know, I get a call to do one of these clinics. And the first one I ever did was down in uh, Chicagoland at a place called Gand Music. And uh, I went down there, and I had uh, I had just recorded that record. Strat's got your tongue, and I had the engineer uh, do like you know guitarioke versions of the mixes. So take the the main guitar out, mm-hmm. and uh, I went in, and I just it was just natural to me. I would tell stories and talk a little bit. Hey, get this sound, and you can check this out, and da da da. da. And afterwards, because like, have you ever done this before? I'm like, no, I guess you know, just you know. I so I I figured out that it was something. Uh, that just came to me and I, I had no problem doing. You know what I mean? I was able to... And I think the other thing, too, that was the fact that I I wouldn't talk about it in real technical terms, but if you were technically oriented, you knew what I was talking about. Uh, but by the same token, if you were the layperson, you weren't being bombarded with minutiae that you didn't give give two craps about. So uh, it worked out well. So that was, that was the beginning of it. It, it took a while before the... The humor in the clinics really crossed over into the gig thing, but that started to to happen more and more as a result of that. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Was there a so, moment when you, you know, we've kind of, I feel like there was like a, a gap period that we haven't discussed where you, you started playing and then we jumped to the Fender rep loved me. But was there an aha moment where you're like, I actually think I can do this for a living? Um, well, when I was, <sighs> it was interesting because um, 
people always, you know, some of the guys that knew me, you know, that were older than me that knew me when I was young were just like, I don't think you've really gotten any better from when you were 16. I'm like, thanks a lot, asshole. But the point was that I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was pretty, pretty well along the way by the time I was about 16 in terms of, you know, the blues chicken picking-y thing was already, you know, rock and roll thing was already there. The jazz thing was creeping in at, a, at that point. Uh, so I knew, you know, and so when I would play, I, you know, especially the boomers, of course, they weren't called boomers at the time. <laughs> I always say I'm technically Gen X because I was born in 66, but let's just put it. You, you get one gray hair, you're a boomer in this day and age, but be that as it may. <laughs> wow, so I'm a all boomer those, now, what's going on here? We're right, everyone, everyone's everyone's a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> you get one wrinkle and you're a boomer. <clears throat> anyway, so, you know, all these older cats would be like, man, you know, and so I, I, I realized uh, that, um, <clears throat> especially kind of the music I was into, not a lot of people my age were into it. You know what I mean? It was like um, everyone my age, for the most part, were either like Van Halen metal guys or into Rush. You know, like Rush was the greatest, you know, musical statement that, you know, that was going on at the time. Or like these hardcore Rush, or they were like new waivers and punkers. Uh, but that was it. I mean, I always used to joke. I was like, I think I'm the only one in my entire high school that knows that Greg Allman did something other than Mary Cher. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, it, it was just one of those things where there was no, there was kind of no rootsy savvy. So I knew that when I played my thing for people that actually had heard any of that roots music, for, whether it be, you know, real, real hardcore blues or, you know, some chicken picking stuff or just classic rock stuff, I, that they were very, um, uh, forthcoming with their, uh, their praise and encouragement. So, you know, I had, you know, I thought, I thought I was going to be able to do something. And, um, yeah, so I would say by the time I was like 16, 17 years old, I, I knew that I had the goods and I, and probably, you know, and I, I say this quite a bit is that, you know, you gotta be a little crazy in order to do this. You know what I mean? It's like, no matter how many times people tell you, look, the music business is extraordinarily difficult. The chances of you being able to do anything, no matter what, and you're listening to them going, yeah, that's because you suck. I've got the skills, <laughs> bro. You know? And and I'm not going to have to worry about all this shit. I'm going to, there's like a magic carpet is going to sail me away to electric gristle land, whatever the frick that means. And uh, so, you know, it was, it was you know, pretty hardcore of just, you know, absolutely obsessed with the idea that all I got to do is keep on practicing and developing this thing and something's going to happen. And I didn't really know what that was. I knew I wanted to have my own band. I knew in a perfect world, you know, I was going to find a Robert Plant, of, you know, or the equivalent and and have a band of glory and, and, and go from there. But um, so that's where it really kind of came. So after high school, I knew I wanted to study music. <clears throat> My dad was not thrilled, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, he had conversations with every one of my teachers along the way. Could you please tell him how it really is? I'm like, Dad, you realize when you're saying this to these people, you're actually insulting them. You're like, please, don't let my son make the same mistake you did. <laughs> and, uh, but I want, you know, I remember at the time there was a school, uh, you know, there was, uh, of course, there was GIT, and I knew about GIT. Uh, but Steve Ray Vaughan came along and it was, it was a, it was like a real shocking experience for me because I was so into that kind of Hendrixy 
you know, Albert King world that all of a sudden this guy came and did it and obviously in the unbelievable way that he did. And it blew my mind because I thought no one's listening to this shit. You know what I mean? All of a sudden he was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's listening to it. And he's just okay. done it like it's never been done before. Right. So um, I was like, Texas, there's something going on down there. And the fabulous Thunderbirds came. And then, I'm, you know, like all these, you know, Freddie King is in T-Bone Walker and Lightning Hopkins. What is with Texas? So I started um, thinking about, well, maybe there's a school down in Texas I can go to. Because I knew my parents were not going to allow me not to go to school. So there was uh, Herb Ellis, the great uh, Jasmine. He had... Um, I think they call it the Southwest Guitar Conservatory in San Antonio. And I got all the, you know, the paperwork for it, the brochure, and I was reading up on it because, you know, junior year in high school, everyone's figuring out where they're going to go to college, you know. And then, you know, of course, fall of your senior year, everyone pretty much knows where they're going. And I'm feeling the pressure. And I'm like, I think I'm going to Texas. I'm going to go to this school. And my parents are like, we called on there. It's not accredited. There's no way you're going there. So I was like, oh, for the love of God. So I had to go to some state school. And in Wisconsin, the, the big state school for jazz was the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. And that's where like Lyle Mays went. And, and a bunch of people had gone to this school. It was very well known uh, as a jazz school. And so I got in there and that's where I was going to go. But the summer of my senior year, uh, as I was getting ready to go to school, I find out there's no guitar instructor at the school, I told my parents, I'm like, look, I'm not going to bumfuck Wisconsin where there's no guitar teacher. <laughs> you know, you know, it, so I took the first semester off. And during that period of time, I figured out that this guitar guy that was the uh, instructor at the summer camp, this jazz summer camp that I went to when I was a junior in high school, it was very cool. I mean, he was a jazz, he was a jazz feller, but he wasn't one of those guys where it's like, you have to play an ES-175 or the like with flat wound strings through a polytone amp, and if you bend a string, you're going to hell. He wasn't one of these guys. <laughs> he, he recognized what I did. Uh, and said, "Hey, if you want to get add more jazz, you're playing." He, you know, he turned me on to Larry Carlton and Robin Ford and mm. and uh, that kind of stuff. So I remembered he was cool, and it turns out he was running the jazz department at this school in the in the middle of uh, Wisconsin, Stevens Point. So I ended up going there, and that was the right time to be there because he ran that department for for the the three or four years that I was there, and uh, you know, I learned a lot of stuff. And I really majored in beer, if we're honest. But actually, it was <laughs> it was a double major, but. Um, uh, yeah, whiskey. so I, yeah. I, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I didn't want to really be, um, you know, I, I didn't want to learn like every standard and, you know, get a bow tie and have a tux and be able to play, you know, a night of solo jazz guitar on the Lido deck. That was not my thing. I, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just wanted to know how to be, uh, conversant and being able to read and write music and know how to handle chord changes and, for the most part, I got what I paid for. So, or I got what my dad paid for. Thank you. <laughs> and he was so happy. He yeah, was so well, happy. you know, the thing is that's funny about it is I didn't graduate because I was getting, you know, I went for four years. I still had a bunch of general degree requirements, but all my music stuff was out of the way. And uh, I was already gigging all the time. So I told my parents, like, I, I can't spend another day of my life in that town. I, I'm playing all the time. And they're like, fine, just transfer to this school. And I never end up doing that. And so my parents, you know, my dad, my his dying day was like, you never finished school. But at one point, about, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, I was, uh, I was full-time faculty, even though I could only be there two days a week. 
I was full-time faculty at this music college up in accredited music college up in Minneapolis because my son got free tuition as a result. And uh, so my dad would go, it bothers me that you never graduated. I go, dad, I'm a professor at a college. (laughs) Even better than graduating. And even better than that, I'm graduating myself and none of the other faculty know. Just (laughs) signing off this document here and I'm done. That's the greatest trick in the world. What do you mean, dad? I did too graduate. My professor signed it for me. I'm actually a doctor of letters. Check this shit out. What do you think you would have done if you had not gone into music? Do you think you'd have followed your dad's steps? Uh, you know, I, I, I just think um, it's just hard to say. I mean, <clears throat> uh, you know, the law was not... I mean, I'm a history buff, and, you know, I think I would have probably been a, a, a good, uh, you know, a history teacher, history professor, something of that nature, Um but you know, all my my brother, my dad, myself, my 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 uh, my grandfather, uh, for whatever reason, and my my daughter Isla's got it too. Now it's just it's just the ability of uh, of being able to. We talk about something that we like, and it sells. We just have this, and it's not like the smarmy leg humping sell. It's just right. you're you're excited about what something is, and the way that you describe it excites somebody else, and they want to buy it. So. Um, uh, you know, I probably would have ended up doing, I mean, you know, some, some kind of, uh, I, I was, you know, I never, you know, it's like, like Steve from Wildwood. He's like, I never want you to sell anything. I just want you to play and be excited about what you're playing. And, mm-hmm. and that, and that, cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at the deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I got a deal for you today. I was I was horrible when I worked at the music store because I was like, "What's the cheapest I could sell something to somebody?" You know, you know what I mean? It's like I don't want to take this person's money. How how do I get him the guitar as cheaply as possible? It was just horrible. So in, in that aspect, I don't think I would have been a good salesperson, but uh, I was good at uh, soft sales, getting people excited about stuff. So who knows? Right. Who knows? So, I definitely wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't have gone into politics. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so like Richard. A Richard's a politician. He's what? going in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, he's, I, I totally refute this statement. Like <laughs> I would. He's running for king or whatever it is over there. I don't know. How <laughs> Whoa! You you don't get to run for king in this country. You have to be born into it. But uh, I, I I totally uh, get where you're coming from, Greg. Because my life, whilst I didn't go the same route as you, is also like whenever I get into something, I sell it to everybody around me. Like everybody mm-hmm. has always ended up with like the same computers, guitars, and pedals as me. Because it's natural enthusiasm. If you love something, then you sell it naturally. But also, like you, I want people to be happy so i just like gave people rubbish prices which is why brian has me in marketing and not in sales (laughs) yeah i can send you as many demo pedals as you want as long as you show them on camera a lot so i'm playing the long game like you greg you know we're 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 on the same page there but no absolutely no way blake would i ever get into politics have you seen who runs this country let's not even go there (laughs) and that is the inherent problem with politics is that the people that you would want to run are never going to no No. because there were always the dicks at school that you would look at and go really what you actually think that whatever and you went off and had a beer and played some music well they were like no i do actually think that and i'm going to go and debate it in debating class so (laughs) that's the difference between them and us 
I kind of equate it to, if you've ever been involved, even with local activities, I remember there was some school board skullduggery back when my kids were young and they wanted to close the school and we got involved in this hollabaloo. I refer to it as like, it's like you move a rock and you see the vermin and creatures that are lurking <laughs> underneath there and you just kind of go, eh, just, <laughs> just put that rock back and keep on walking. <laughs> yep. I don't even want to describe our most recent uh, mayoral race. I was like, I think I would literally vote for anyone other than everyone that's running. This is the most obscene thing I've ever seen. It was, <laughs> ooh, it was, it was bad. And that's who runs the town. Anyway, <laughs> we didn't get into politics. Look at us yeah, now. Yeah, you, you get minus two points for talking about politics now, Blake. You're ah, on, that's right. You're on the bad list. That puts me at negative 37,000? Is that correct? <laughs> Some, something like that. Negative 37,002 now, but, you know, let's not split hairs. So, Greg, how did you get involved with Reverend? Uh, well, it's because I was buddies with Ken. Um through Wildwood, as a matter of fact. So, okay. So when I uh, first started doing the Wildwood stuff, which I always, I always am quick to tell people, like of all the stuff I did prior to Wildwood, and and you know, and it, and I was very fortunate and gratified to be doing all the things I was doing prior to that. I mean, I had you know a couple different record deals with some folks. Certainly, have got a lot of love, and you know, various different you know music publications. Had my own columns in quite a few different magazines. Did the Fender thing. Had the Hal Leonard thing, and yada yada yada, all that kind of stuff, which was great. And um, but in comparison to the Wildwood thing, you know. <laughs> You know, there's, there's, it's in excess of 50 million views of those things. And it's not like one or two videos that get a million views. It's like, you know, there's like seven or 7,000 videos. You know what I mean? With, so there, so many people in so many different places for so many different reasons end up watching these freaking videos, right? So, but the whole thing, Prior to that was is that I was very much I had been doing stuff for Fender for about 15 years and and a lot of people think I worked for Fender. Well, I did in the fact that I was an independent contractor, but I was never um, I never even had a guarantee. I never I was on retainer nothing, which which played to my advantage for a long time. But it was also very stressful when I'd be like laying out my year when I'd go to Nam. <laughs> You know, I'd have to work basically, kind of construct my entire year from from Thursday to Sunday of Nam. I would like, okay, well, here's the Italian guy. And then he go, Greg, do you want to come to Italy? And I'd be like, yes. When are we going to do that? Well, September. I got this going on. Oh, great. So uh, September's done. And then I would, mm -hmm. you know, talk to the, you know, various different reps would come up to me. Hey, you know, there's this thing that happens. And, uh, and then the, the marketing guy from Fender, you know, in the USA would come up and say, listen, we're going to do something in the spring and we're going to do something in the fall. I'm like, okay, well, when? And they would, so anyway, this is the kind of stuff I would have to juggle. And then... You know, I'd get all my other stuff and kind of surround it with that. So, but so just Nam was very, very stressful. And then the other thing that sucked too is that it would be like, okay, well, you said I was going to be gone for three weeks in September. And then it'd be get to be about the middle of July. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be more like a weekend. And you'd be like, bum, 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 bum. So it was, <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, it was stressful, but it worked. You know, it worked for, for 15 years. And then as my kids started to approach, college age, I said, uh, remember I was at a NAMM show <laughs> again, and um, and I was with one of the Fender bigwigs who I'd been buddies with for a long time. We're having breakfast. I was like, hey, you know, uh, I've never asked you guys for like a retainer or anything. And they're like, I'm surprised you haven't asked sooner. I go, well, I'm asking now. 
because my <laughs> kids are getting near college and I would just like to, a little less stress in my life. And anyways, through a bizarre series of, you know, ownership changes and personnel changes within that company, nothing ever manifested. So I found myself, uh, you know, not getting a guarantee, uncertain of what's going to go on with Fender. And then out of the blue, I get a call from the Fender rep in Colorado who says, hey, remember that shop you did a clinic for, that cool high-end kind of, you know, custom shoppy dealer out in Louisville, Colorado, Wildwood Guitars? I go, yeah. He's like, well, he's got this idea of bringing in different guys from different manufacturers to do videos of these guitars because he orders so many different guitars and he wants somebody to play them so people can not only look at them and, you know, all that kind of shit, but they can hear them. He goes, so we'll we'll pay your travel expenses. He'll pay you directly, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, fine. So I end up going out there. I do one video, and the guy says, can I hire you to do this? I said, what? He goes, I will fly you out here every month uh, to shoot these videos. I go, you mean kind of like a job? <laughs> and he goes, you can call it anything you want. So it, to me, it blew my mind. It's like, you know, they were a very successful store, obviously, but the fact that this independent dealer in uh, – in kind of suburban Denver, Colorado, is making me a guarantee for more money than Fender ever did. You know what I mean? It just kind of blew my mind. So, and then as time went on, the Fender thing never happened. I, I started to do other things. And then Steve said, you know, we had a discussion one day. He's like, well, if you played some other guitars for me, you know, I could use even more. So then I started playing Gibson's of, you know, Paul Reed Smith's reverence. So I would do these things where Reverend would come to town, Pete, um, um, Joe Naylor, and, um, well, actually, Joe wouldn't come to Wildwood. It was just Ken Haas. So Ken would come, but he would bring, uh, like, some signature artists of of his along, um, whether it was, uh, you know, Gil Paris or uh, uh, Kyle Shutt or any of these type of guys. So he'd bring these guys out, and I would play with these guys. You know, we'd do a little jamming back and forth and and shoot the breeze. And Ken just I, and I had this rapport uh, because we kind of looked similar. We looked like we could be brothers, and and we're both from Midwest. He's about my same size. And it, it was, there's just kind of a, a – and people enjoyed that rapport, you know, that we had. So it was kind of in the back of my mind, both of our minds, that, hey, you know, if anything ever changed with, you know, with whatever I was doing, uh, that maybe we would end up uh, doing something together. And I think the real impetus was is that when I started to do the pickups with Fishman, uh, which was a, kind of out of the blue, but was a glorious thing that kind of transpired, you know, I did those pickups for the Telecaster, and they turned out spectacularly. And so I reached out to, you know, we were going to do a run of uh, like custom shop guitars um, at Wildwood with my pickups in it. And and I actually went to the Fender booth at, you know, it's Summer Nam when the pickups first came out. The Fishman booth was right across the way. You got to remember the Fishman and Fender do, have been doing all the electronics and those acoustics, those are all Fishman things. So it's not like there's not a rapport with them, right? So I went over and uh, talked to a bunch of my old buddies that were there. I was like, you got to check out these pickups. So they heard them, and they were like, wow, these sound great. I'm like, yeah, we should do something. We could do something very simple. We could take like a, a Baja Telecaster and pop these pickups in it and, you know, and do something. And no interest. They had no interest in doing any of that stuff. And and then they were weird. It, it was kind of off-putting. Uh, of they didn't want to really put the guitar, uh, the pickups in the custom shop instruments. 
which was just a little weird. I understand it. They have their own pickups. I get it. And all, all's fair. But so I had these custom shop guitars that I had from Wildwood with my pickups in it that I liked. I'd been traveling all over the place with them. And then uh, Ken from Reverend and I were talking one day at Nashville Nam. I'm like, Ken, God damn it. You're always having these fun parties. You know, in Anaheim, you rent out a room and you have cool bands and your posters are cool. You're doing fun stuff. How do I get to play at one of these parties? It's like, well, you got to play a reverend guitar. I'm like, well, uh, what if we did this? You, that Pete Anderson guitar, that's, that's like a telly. What if, what if we put my pickups in that guitar? Could I, could we do it then? So he really liked the organ trio I have with my son and, um, and my, and the organ player, Toby, the Cock Marshall trio. And so that's how it started. I played one of these, uh, Pete Anderson Eastsiders with my Fishman pickups in it at this party. And we had a great old time. And uh, and then Ken wanted me to do some videos out in Toledo with him and I just kind of grabbing random Reverend guitars off the wall and him and I doing our rapport. We're just kind of shooting the shit. And uh, while we were out there, you know, he had mentioned to me prior to that, look, no pressure because we're friends and I know you got all your other different things that you do. But if you ever wanted to do something with us, we'd totally love to do it. So while I was out there, I just started going, hey, uh, you know, it could be as easy as you know, picking out a different neck profile, you know, picking some cool colors, put a different bridge on and offer my pickups on the guitar and we'd be done. It's like, well, we can do anything we want. So then I got into the whole idea of having the bigger body, which was something I approached Fender with back in the day. It's like, look, there's a lot of big son of a bitches out there who are sick and tired of people saying, what is that, a ukulele? Is that a three-quarter size guitar? I'm like, no, Lilliputian. I'm just a big son of a bitch. So we, we figured out a way to make a guitar that was like two, between two and 3% larger. So it's not so large that it was going to aggravate, you know, the more diminutive individual. But it also just looks more proportionate to a larger individual and it fits in a regular guitar case. So that's, that's how it all kind of came together. And, uh, and it's worked out great. And then the same thing happened. We decided to do, I really wanted to do P nineties with Fishman. So that kind of happened at the same time. I was like, what if we did a new P90 at the same time and they would debut in a new iteration of my Reverend guitar, but we'll make this one set neck and Gibson scale with the Bixby on it, Ebony fingerboard and yada, yada, yada. And boom, we did it. So it all it all worked out. Let's put it that way. And uh, and they're good people. Every you know the Fishman people are fantastic. Ken and Penny and Joe Naylor and everybody at at uh, at Reverend. You know it's it's a lot different when it's a smaller company. You know I'm, what I mean? Because because smaller companies are much more appreciative of the individual effort. The corporations not so much. They could they don't give it. A squat. I mean, you could be absolutely killing it for him, but it's like, oh, I don't like that guy. He's too much of a boomer. We need different stuff. Let's get, you know, <laughs> let's get Slighty Joe McCorkendale in here from this new band, you know, the Bum Rusher Three or whatever. Big, I don't big know. Fan, <laughs> big fan of him, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I am a, a real big fan of uh, of the Reverend guitars. I've had my eye on the uh, Reeves Gabrell signature for a while because he's a guitarist who I really love, and oh, he's got an awesome signature guitar with just like. Like literally, like he's taken all the best bits of every guitar 
car I love and put them together. So is that the Space Hawk you're talking about? Yeah, I love it. I've got one myself. Yeah, it's 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 a nice piece. And to be fair, I'm also looking at these uh, Greg Cox signature cars. Right, quite. <laughs> I quite like Tellys. Uh, yes, I'm liking uh, the, the middle through thing going on with these, uh, Brian. I think you need to get one to your collection. You haven't I do. Got I don't have one of the Reverends. Uh, we're, we're all going to be buying Reverends yeah. tonight. That's it. Yes! <laughs> like, your job joke. is done. Now, remember that bit where you said you like to sell things really, really cheaply <laughs> to people that you really, is. really like? <laughs> Just you put that out there, dude. We like, we like buying things really cheaply. Yeah, that's yeah. It works out well for everybody. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of buying things cheap. Yeah. <laughs> At or below cost, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. Just yeah. ask Brian. What, what about G-benders and B-benders? And, and I mean, with the stuff you do... Uh, there's a lot of bendy things that if you if you haven't watched Greg you would think would be a, a bender would be incorporated in somehow have you thought uh, about using a, a bender and taking well that? I did use a B bender quite a bit um in kind of um you know all the stuff on well not all the stuff there's quite a few things on the grip uh which was a compilation record actually of some stuff and then some newer material that came out and that was that first one that came out on uh, <laughs> On Favored Nations Records back in uh, 2001, I played a lot of B-Bender stuff on that. Hmm. Uh, but I and then I, you know, there's some stuff online or some videos of band of our band playing where I'm playing this blue telly uh, with the B-Bender on it. But um, I, <laughs> the Nam show where I helped Fender debut that Cyber Twin amp, mm-hmm. I was using a B-Bender Telecaster. And I threw my back out so bad, um, you know. In, in retrospect, that it was it was a combination of things. Of course, I was not exactly in shape at the time, <laughs> and my daughter was like six months old, so it was the right amount of weight in the wrong place. So I think, but I, I it was stress oriented too. I was very stressed out of having to go to the NAM and you know have to debut this amp. Um, it, you know, and, and also the fact that, you know, there was a bunch of other different stuff going on. Anyways, my back went out <laughs> and, uh, and luckily since then, I've never had that level of like back spasms and stuff like that, except when I play a B-Bender telly. If I mess around with a B-Bender huh. telly for just a little while, it's like, I'll get that little knife thing in the back, which I haven't had really? since. So huh. I, I steer clear. And now I could get another, another kind of mechanism for it. Like a hip shot um, or something. But uh, I just haven't, you know. I just like as much as it was fun playing them, and I have a whole bunch of tunes of mine that are, or quite a, or a few of them anyway, which are based on B Bender stuff. But um, I figured out other ways to doing them in the in the interests of <laughs> of not being crippled with pain, right. <laughs> That does come in handy. Yeah, that is yes. a motivator. <laughs> it, yeah. it helps when you're playing on stage too, right? If you're right. Kind of bent over, dying of pain. So, although yeah, you yeah know, that's so one of the first time I felt kind of aged was when the my back one. I literally had to be wheelchaired to the gate at the airport. It was Ooh, that bad. That was bad then. Wow, I couldn't move. It was it was horrific. I've been in that situation, but it wasn't because of pain. It's usually because I was so hungover after that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> oh, those earthquaker devices parties to get off yeah. the chain. <laughs> and it isn't because of the cake. Um, anyway, yeah, well, partially. Right, partially. 
Mm-hmm. So your so your boy, I see your boy, your son uh, being the drummer in the trio. Yes. Um, that's uh, my son. Actually, used started out playing drums until he got old enough to find girls. I mean, you know, <laughs> to get interested in girls, and then drums like it was gone. It was the two was, are not mutually no exclusive. Dude. No, it's <laughs> not. So I'm I do admire that. that. <laughs> I actually admire that a lot. That. Uh, that you're, you know, that you're doing something with your son musically. That's that's awesome. I, it's great. the dream. It is the dream for sure. It's but wild. I'm, it's... I'm sitting here thinking, like, when he was growing up, were you like, ah, he's going to be a musician? I don't know about this. Uh, or... yeah. Well, you know, he he was very much like me in in in. Uh, hmm. Uh, in his educational pursuits, so um, you know he got you. Know, he was he was a very smart kid, but you know academically he he had a hard time, you know, staying focused and staying interested. So uh, when he took a interest in music, I was just glad he was interested in something. something. So yeah, and, and uh, you know, because that's the thing. I mean, you get kids or they have no interest in anything other than like video games and. Video games, you Doritos, know. and pot. Exactly. <laughs> no, we're talking about kids, Brian, not you. Just... <laughs> oh, 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 oh. We but, know you uh, love your video games. Yeah, you saw how Brian's eyes lit up when you said that, right? <laughs> 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 Delicious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when he won, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, um, it just kind of was what it was. And and he yeah. got good fast, and and he, you know, he took to it in such a way where, you know, it's like it's like anything else. Like you know, you can be a musician for a while, and if you want to, and then if you all of a sudden figure out, well, this is a hellscape, then you can you can pivot and do something else. But <laughs> no, so he's far, an awesome you know, drummer, though. He is an awesome drummer. Oh, been, yeah, yeah, he really is. I've been listening to uh, the Cock Marshall Trio uh, today, actually, because I hadn't listened to any of it. I have to admit, I'd sort of seen you do a few videos and laughed at some of your bits and pieces on uh, on the, the social medias. Yeah, today I was like, I'm going to have a deep dive, and I loved it. And uh, lots of it, like, really spoke back to me because there was a real heavy. Obviously, you've got the Hammond B3 going on. And, like, my first observation is this is what the doors would have sounded like if Jim Morrison was a lead guitarist and not a singer. Because ah. <laughs> you, you, you literally, you've got, like, you've taken that sound further. It's more rocky. There's one track that literally sounds like it could have been on the B side of, like, an LA woman single. I was like, this is awesome. But you're singing with the guitar instead of, you know, through the drunken mouth of a 27 year old bearded Morrison. But, indeed. Uh, and also, I loved all the sort of jazzy influence as well. And, and, and obviously, this is huge blues influence. But there's a, a band over here in the UK called the James Taylor Quartet, which did, uh, they were like at the, the forefront of what was called acid jazz which didn't really cross to the states quite as much as it did over here but it was really fast jazz funk and james taylor not the same one brian uh, was the the master of the hammond b3 and i was like i'm so here for this because it's just such a great sound when you mix a dirty dirty guitar being played well with some fat hammond licks there is nothing that is more pleasurable to to these 40 something years anyhow Ah, well thank uh, you i I, I I agree i love it yeah, it's, it a- it's one. It's one of those things where you know when we sit down. I mean, as soon as Toby plugs in, I mean we're playing immediately. It's just like we just love playing. Whether yeah. it's just 
fantastic. It's always a blast. But that's what so. comes out as well in the music, is you can hear you're enjoying it, and always with really good music, you can hear the musicians enjoy it. You can you can just tell they're giving each other those looks of, fuck yes, I just did that. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> absolutely... I, I, I'm a bit ashamed that I hadn't listened until today, but I, I have a lot of music that comes my way, and I've I instantly been a fan. I'm like, wow, uh, I should have listened to this before. So, well, I'm glad you dig it. Thank I'm you. there for you now, dude. For sure. Excellent. Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> Story of don't, my goddamn life. Don't forget to buy life. the beanie on the website. Oh, I'm, That's I mean, right. I'm, I'm losing the hair, so I'm definitely going to cover it up with uh, a nice bit of that macrame or crochet or whatever that technique yeah. is that goes there. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you could rock one. I I need to look. Look at this. Oh, there you go. Wow, yeah, the, the, yeah, the listeners, I will just, I'll just describe. Brian just bent over, and uh, he's actually got another face growing on the back of his head. I think that's, yeah. I think my, that's uh, the genius, not Brian Ward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> right. He's, my he's like that guy off uh, Total Recall almost. Yeah, it's, it's, what's it, Quato? Quato. Quato and as always, let me give a huge shout out to our executive producers, those who make this show happen. A big thanks to Bill Bays, Jake Young from Man the Helm Podcast, Justin Burke, David Tendall, Night Hoss, Dave Trumbetti, Shannon Weaver and the band Reduced to Rust, Eric Wilson, Radar Frostad, Michael Freer, Sean Arbo of Gun Street Wiring, Rick Calhoun of Honey Picks, DJ Patty F, Dylan Toxtone, Scientific Uppercut, Kevin Harrington, Barry from Grez Guitars, Felicity Who Makes the Annoying Memes, Tom Kelly, Pigsy, John O'Neill, Robert Carr, Hunter Hudson, Rob Stokes, Jordan from Poison Noises, Nick Spano, The Twain Kings, Sasha Sir, Jay Stratton, Seth Williford, Grumpy Mike, Harry Post, The Studio Rats, Harvey Pedals, Allison Carroll, Patrick Zeller, Bum Laser and Anthony Stevens. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to the Chasing Dome podcast. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email podcast at wamplerpedals.com and I'll personally get your email. To email Blake, simply email info at tonemob.com and Richard can be reached at richard at wamplerpedals.com. If you'd like to show your support for the show, the simplest and free way to do that is to share this podcast with a friend, leave a review and a rating wherever you normally get your podcasts, also, check out Blake's podcast called The Tone Mob, and make sure you check out WamplerPedals.com for blogs, videos, and of course, guitar effects. If you'd like to hear the post-podcast conversations and to get even more content, twice the amount of podcast episodes, simply check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>